0: Hello and welcome back to the Next Stage Podcast by Web Summit. My name is Luke and today we're taking you inside the minds of business and cultural leaders from around the globe. It's Tuesday, so we're looking at some of the best and brightest minds that CollisionConf has to offer. So sit back, relax and listen in. We'll be hearing from leading minds and industry giants from all over the planet.
1: Hello and welcome to our Collision Conversation on Investing in Digital Healthcare. It couldn't be a more perfect time to discuss this a year or so into the pandemic, except for perhaps a year ago. But our two brilliant investors, Hans Tung and Rebecca Lin are gonna make up for any uh, lateness in our in our conversation with is spinning us a lot forward. So uh, I'm thrilled to have both of you here. You have such amazing track records and, and you're such thoughtful thinkers about The healthcare space and the consumer space even more broadly. Rebecca, I want to begin with you because you've talked a lot about this idea of investing in core root causes of health, functional medicine. Talk a little bit about how we can actually make that happen because we've been talking about that idea for a while.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, I have. I think in terms of making that happen, there are a couple companies out there really going towards this today uh, they're fairly early stage. So one is really embracing functional medicine and there are a number of functional medicine practitioners out there and having a platform for functional medicine. The other one is really getting at the scalable data analytics and applying it to actual patient care instead of sort of upcoding programs, which is what a lot of it has been applied to thus far. So I think those two things, the platform for functional medicine and then also the scalable data analytics platform.
1: Now, we actually talked a little bit about just in my intro that this is getting to the root causes, but just to help us understand the difference between functional medicine and just plain medicine.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So medicine is largely uh, governed by pharma, I would say. So you, you know eat a lot of the wrong stuff, you eat the sugar and everything, you gain about 50 to 100 pounds, and then they're right there to meet you to help put you on diabetes medication right, and monitor your diabetes program and try to bring your H1C levels down functional medicine is very different they ask what caused you to be sick in the first place what was it from a behavioral change an environmental change or a genetic issue that may have caused you to actually first get sick and uh, and then they deal with it from that basis forward and they deal a lot with like the gut microbes the idea that you know 80 to 90% of all of our neurotransmitters in our brain are actually created in our gut and our gut microbiome and that that factory where they're created, if we feed it the wrong things, will actually impact our mental and physical health tremendously.
1: So they start a lot
2: from that basis.
1: So that that's actually really helpful. You know, Hans, when when Rebecca talks about behavior, it makes me immediately think about this sort of consumer, the thing that the consumer controls. You know, this is sort of again putting the patient, putting the consumer in the driver's seat of their health. Um, You know, this is an area that you've come from in your investments really on a broader Consumer space rather than so much as a healthcare space. How, how do they intersect?
0: Right. And, and Rebecca Devon has to spend more time in healthcare in particular. For me, I come from more of a cons- broader consumer in the Netherlands. I let our investments in um, Peloton, Slack, uh, uh, Musically, we turned to TikTok, um, and then uh, StockX and so forth. So, uh, what I understand is how consumers react to things. Um, I became an investor in um, K Health in New York and then uh, color uh, health in uh, San Francisco Bay Area over the last four or five years. And just seeing how with um, COVID-19 and acceleration of adoption of uh, digital technology and seeing hospitals and other medical groups being more willing to partner, we've started seeing breakdown in sort of barriers to allow what uh, Rebecca was talking about earlier. So having have a sort of intersection of IT and healthcare happen at a, at a pace that we have never seen before. And that gives consumers a lot more control at least access to what they're supposed to be getting.
1: Yeah, the other part of, of digital healthcare we often think of as our, is our, you know, our cell phones, our mobile phones that are these, you know, amazing digital right. tools that connect us with everything and a huge amount of data. But it's that data is the this, this second part, and you know we often talk about. This vast amount of data that's available at our fingertips, but so much of it isn't accessible. So much of it isn't interoperable in the healthcare system. Rebecca, this has been something that you've had to deal with. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, we started, you know, a decade ago and, and kicked off this whole conference called DC to VC to really educate the venture capital community on on Washington policy, right? And a big piece of that, more there than a decade. Is, ago, I'm ago,
1: sorry. Was there, the Washington policy you're suggesting. Yeah, no, but oh, well, yes, see.
2: well, it, it changes okay. the, every half an hour, <laughs> right. so. but here we are. And so, uh, so anyway, so back then, you know, there was a ton of talk about the blue button and fire, and we're going to have this whole interoperable health system, and we're going to have data all in one place, and it's going to be shared. And you fast forward, you know, a decade plus later, and we haven't made a ton of progress. And we continue to look for that. We're getting there. We're getting closer but there's still a lot of, uh, of friction points, and I've said in the past, you know, the um, antitrust action against Epic and others is probably what it's going to what it's going to take on the government level to actually truly see that uh, accessibility to data. And uh, Practice Fusion was one of my first deals in health tech. So it was it's the largest cloud based EMR. It was acquired by Allscripts, and really the, the thesis behind that investment even back then was this accessibility to that core data to help inform, inform better decisions.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that, you know, people get so frustrated about is how hard it is to do anything in digital health. Um, you know, when you think about just the access to, to being able to say, you know, book a, a, ho- a room in somebody's home, um, Airbnb. Uh, Hans, you were an early investor in, in Airbnb i just the concept of, of just disrupting the entire hotel industry and saying, yes, we can use the data and tools that we have and, and the consumer at the center of all this uh, and make this happen. And, and yet we, we have such trouble doing that in healthcare.
0: Yeah, with healthcare, it's so regulated and data sits in silos. It just gets, it was really hard to be able to apply analytics to something when you don't have enough data to, to analyze and data's not available. Well,
2: and the data is the largely garbage, too. I mean, the claims data is messy, right? It's full of garbage. That, e, that EMR itself is incredibly unstructured and, and not super helpful
1: in a lot of ways. And Correct. Of, so so, so now with action. COVID-19, it has become
0: easier to have more uh, access to data and also get better data uh, if consumers are willing to share and so forth. And that's what we saw with um, uh, Color as well as with K-Health. Color is now partnering with uh, California State and Massachusetts State and Harvard Medical School and Stanford Middle School, and they're doing seventy-five uh, percent of the testing for COVID-19 uh, in, in in California. And on top of that, they are also providing um, more uh, software and, and services on top of data they're collecting through testing and so forth. So this is a sort of new era in it, even though we've been talking for a long time. Finally, we're seeing some breakthrough, with it, you know, partially due to uh, COVID-19.
2: Partially due to the amended regulations, right? I mean, partially due to pain doctors, the same now for telemedicine versus not, right? That was a huge issue before. Uh, Breaking down the barriers to the interstate kind of practices and, and doctors being willing to sort of accept it themselves and adopt it themselves. So we've seen that with Doximity. Doximity filed to go public, so I can't say a ton but uh, they have over 100,000 doctors on that platform and they only started doing telemedicine in Q2, right? Yeah. And, and, and it really was just like the sea tele- change yeah. was instantaneous.
1: What? Well, they had a million plus telemedicine visits in just the second quarter. Uh, you, you mentioned at one point, um, I mean, just a huge, and right, right when COVID-19. Yeah, 100,000
2: doctors, right, on that platform yeah. and they only launched in Q2. And so that never would have happened had the the right, the legislation not changed with COVID-19.
1: So we needed a crisis to help spur these changes in legislation. So. The urgency that we have. Well, we know that we have this urgency, and we know that this pandemic isn't even over yet. In fact, we're seeing some surges here. We're already seeing some, you know, tremendous, uh, you know, evolution in, in the way that consumers are taking charge of things. Like, and, and we've talked about this in the past, but Livongo and telehealth. Um, yep. and, and that behavioral, uh, uh, that ability to, to really take control in a, in, a disease, in a disease like diabetes, where there is so much uh, of a behavioral component to this, um, what, you put, what you eat and how you manage that. Um, so is there, what is the next area that we're going to see that sort of behavioral health kick in, or at least some consumer-directed care kick in?
2: I mean, you were already seeing it in therapy, right? And mm-hmm. teletherapy. And this was one of the first things that I thought back, you know, a decade ago was the, the sort of most obvious, you know, was the teletherapy. And mm-hmm. so we're seeing that on all fronts. And Vita has a component of teletherapy too, right? Their thesis is you can't mm-hmm. just do one thing. You have to do we had managed diet and weight loss and diabetes and therapy. And it's one sort of continuum of a patient, which is what our, my core belief set is. So I do think you're going to continue to see um, teletherapy, like therapy and and mental health in the in the telemedicine bucket. Uh, my newest investment is in the vet medicine. I think I think telemedicine serve you know they serve people, but I think it serves the vet world perhaps even better. Um, and so that's uh, that's another key area. And then I also think this remote patient monitoring as a whole, you know, across you know, so this remote patient monitoring, which is really touchless and people don't have to think about it, so. I grew up in the CPG world and the number one mantra is don't make the consumer think. Right. And the more you can do where they don't have to interact and they're just getting little touch points. I think the better, the more behavior change we're going to see.
1: And Hans, that was Steve Jobs' thinking would just make the, make the iPhone as simple as possible with one button. Don't make people think.
0: Yep. And that's why on one end you start seeing calm and headspace. Uh, We made an investment in a company called Loop, Uh, a a lot of, I mean, you see uh, Prince Harry speaking uh, on behalf of BetterUp, you see more and more companies addressing the issue of mental health um, on one end, on the other end, you're seeing specialty care become more available uh, online as well, what is Health is trying to do that with medical groups in Israel and in in the US, Uh, we also are seeing a communities emerging like the mighty in uh, in LA that millions of users on it. And these are families with kids that have specialty uh, kind of conditions that are hard to find and they're they are um, they're permanent. And so you need a place to 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 share uh, notes, uh, share stories and and share inspiration with each other. So as as uh, smartphone punishment continues to rise, there are more and more services possible than ever before.
1: That's a powerful idea. You know, my friend, the late, great Bernard Tyson who ran Kaiser Permanente for years and was truly uh, one of the most prophetic uh, healthcare thinkers that I've ever met, used to talk about this idea that we were separating the, the head from the body in medicine. You know, that we had two different ways of treating them, that people would go to two different kinds of care uh, you know, uh, providers um two different systems for billing and And, and they're all
2: linked together right and and by the way your your gut is actually what creates all those neurotransmitters going into your brain and Mm -hmm. it's completely linked through like a nerve system you know between the two i mean they're completely tied together and and it makes no sense to divide it
1: well we see that happen more in digital health where we see this unity
2: I mean, we are. That's but that's what Vita is doing, largely, right? Yeah. Vita Health, and then a lot. That's again when I talk about the functional medicine plays. We're starting to see it. And then we also did um, a uh, oh my gosh, what's it called? It's a microbiome play um, as well in our in the prior Morgan Taylor fund, which I uh, I firmly believe in, like the, just the issues around the microbiome and how it affects that, our our overall health.
0: Yeah, as more problem? consumers come online, they, they need more uh, help, and help has to be more integrated. Uh, and so both the body and the mind need to be treated. And we're living increasingly in a very extremely polarized world that we all see every day on news. So this is definitely the, the time for this kind of functional help.
1: You know, one of the other things this is time for is, uh, and not to get dark here, but some fraud, some, some abuse, some waste. Totally. Some oh, my gosh. I'm glad you brought of, that up. But, yeah.
2: What was it like? One of the cases you cited was like a two billion dollar hit already in telemedicine due to the in Medicare due to the um, the telemedicine sort of uptick. Yeah, yeah. The the fraud, waste, and abuse is a huge, huge, huge area, and we've been looking really closely at a company here. And I've been it's one of the first things I looked at when I cracked open digital health about a decade ago was this fraud, waste, and abuse issue. And even then, the, the estimate was twenty to thirty percent of Medicare is, is is fraud, waste, and abuse, mm-hmm. right? And it, it's just obscene, and that's what twenty two percent of our of our overall GDP, GDP or overall budget, right? Going into medicine is that number is just tremendous, and and we have to just do a much better job of of, of 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 getting a hold of that, and then not not also standing in the way of care because so often it's a tail wagging the dog issue, right? Mm -hmm. And then they're like, oh, well, you don't need that $5 test, you know, to see if, you know, you have a thyroid issue, which I dealt with in the medical system. Um, you know, that we don't want to overtest people. And that's just like a really stupid, like tail wagging the dog situation. Right. But what we can get, can do is really get on top of, um, you know, the, the abuses in telehealth, you know, and, and I don't even think you, you can apply AI and machine learning, but they're so obvious, you don't even need it right at this point in time. I mean, those are at the margin, these fraud, waste and abuse cases um, are fairly glaringly obvious. And, and we just really need people and, and oversight to go in and do something about that.
1: You know, Hans, you were talking before about this fantastic patient resource that you're building for people with rare conditions and diseases for them to get together. This idea of the wisdom of the crowds is such a powerful one and has really driven so much of our of our, our digital infrastructure. Tell, tell me a little bit about how that's working in digital health.
0: Sure. Um, the, the Mighty is, is a company that's based in L.A., and the founder... Uh, His daughter had a a rare condition, and he tried to look for um, um, feedback, data from WebMD and other traditional sources. And there's a lot of hard facts, but not enough to share emotionally what people with this condition are going through. And not enough people share how they cope with it every single day with all the ups and downs. And so we can build a community that people willing to share and and provide a a lot more anecdotes not only is it useful for patients to go through and the families learn how to deal with it, it also provides rich amount of data for pharma and other people to be able to look at it and and, and test um, the the new drugs and new approach to to care to see how families and and patients respond. So it is just something that that. that makes it a lot more possible than, than before. And when you read these stories, they're heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time, and it really really touches us in a way that makes make us feel like we have to invest in it and help them to scale.
2: So there was a company called Patients Like Me that it sounds like that was, do, you, do you, I mean, it's been in existence for a while, um, but very interesting. Yeah, we, we met
0: them as well. The, the Mighty is, yeah. is significantly bigger. Um, and, it's, and so it, it is definitely an interesting category that we're looking at. And I think the more, more will be done and more companies uh, should emerge out of this category to do more for the great good.
1: Yeah, and as we start to see, you know, this data being provided for companies for things like drug development, for for data analytics, for even just tracking where people are, you know, of course, this raises privacy issues and it raises, uh, you know, some concerns among consumers. Um, how do you resolve that as an investor when you're thinking about that, how important is that for you to be considered? A,
0: it is extremely right? important. For what we're yeah, investing you know, in companies like TikTok or or companies like the Mighty, users have to give consent. And that's a starting point. I'm sure Rebecca will have more points to add as well.
2: Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, Hans. Users have to give consent. I think healthcare, it's sort of the, you know, and I had I had sort of like pulled back from it for a couple of years because I was I was a little bit, I guess, repelled by the fact that you know you have to always think about who's paying, right? Who where is the bottom line dollar coming from? And most of the time it's pharma. I will tell you. And so a lot of these companies, you know, and this is where some of the earlier companies ran into problems, they really want to serve the end patient, right? And serving the end patient might be more of a holistic functional medicine approach, but, you know, pharma is, is really who's paying the freight. And so some of the, even the public companies ran into that back in the day where, they wanted to do something to more to serve the doctor or the patient, but they really had to pay attention to what, you know, the person paying, the pain, uh, paying for it was saying, which was more, more than likely pharma, or, um, you know, maybe in some cases it's the, the payer, the providers or whatever. And so it's this really odd ecosystem. You get the patient, the payer, the provider, and, and it's how that interplay really happens. And, you know, I also do a lot in FinTech, and so I always follow the money right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and figure out kind of how that interplay happens and, and where that goes. And you have to get everyone involved in the conversation. You can't forget one leg of that stool. And if you do, uh, you won't have a very interesting company.
0: Right. You know? And also, it's, it's become encouraging to see that um, there are more ways to monetize beyond pharma as well. Pharma is a huge piece. But uh, as you expand and go after the enterprise accounts, um, and if some of the consumers willing to pay out of their own pocket for subscription and other things. The possibilities are are emerging, and there are other yeah. categories adjacent to pharma, but not pharma themselves, that are also willing to pay for for data and so forth. So uh, all the caring aspect of it. So it, it is it is a much more uh, you see a plurality of ways to monetize them before.
2: Yeah, yeah that's, and that's kind of what caused me to step back in in a big way. You're seeing that change in that patient yeah. behavior, right? You're seeing the you're seeing the the, uh, the willingness at some with some pockets to actually you know pay for their healthcare and yep. actually do something about it. So,
1: you know, we also as a business journalist, we also talk about you know following the dollar, and that's sort of where the heart of the story is. But in right. healthcare, there's also something, and again, to to harken back to my friend uh, Bernard Tyson, used to talk about owning the healthcare dollar and how fundamental that is. Because when you're taking a little piece of it, you're always responsible for somebody else's. Part of the pie too they can they can change that on you the the, the business model so right. we only have about uh, less than a minute left talk a little bit about how you can invest in an area where you feel like you've got enough runway where you don't have to worry about other players in the system We only have about 20 seconds now <laughs> so maybe just some final thoughts here
2: yeah, I mean, I don't. I think the future for investing in healthcare has never looked better since I've been in venture. To be perfectly honest, I mean, you're seeing some real things change in the ecosystem to shift towards uh, more innovation. I would say in the healthcare ecosystem, you're seeing more uh, rapid testing options for at-home testing and protocols, and you're seeing the adoption of telemedicine. And my hope, you know, this is the big question everyone has: is what is CMS going to do? Are they going to roll back? You know how much pressure are they going to get from the industry and from providers and payers to roll back those regs? And so I think we're all in a holding pattern right now to really see where CMS lands, right? And what are, what the next 10 years is going to look like.
0: Yeah, for me, as a global investor, we've definitely seen digital health as a trend on a global basis, not only in the, in the United States. And secondly, as a sort of consumer investor, we also have a we also have a thriving enterprise practice, so we're seeing practice in SaaS, in enterprise, and the consumers building over to to uh, to to digital health. And we already saw with the IPOs of the fintech companies like Affirm making changes in uh, in and banks coming up, changing the fintech industry uh, and financial service industry being affected. And now we're seeing that digital health impacting the way medicines being practiced. Um, and so you're going to see a lot more neo uh, medical groups online than ever before in the next ten years. And extremely exciting.
1: Hans Tung, Rebecca Lid, thank you. That was truly a great collision of ideas and we're going to leave it there.
0: Thanks for listening. And if you want to hear more about these topics firsthand, or you want to let us know what you want to hear, be sure to check us out on any of our social media accounts or visit websummit.com. That's websummit.com.